podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good afternoon, good evening, good lunchtime, as it is where Will and Hanlon are, or whatever time it is in the world. Thank you for joining us today for our sort of quarterly meetup for the review of the doubles tournaments at the majors. Uh, of course, we are a little bit late on this. It's about 10 days ago, but Will and Hanlon, who, of course, were you were both in New York, right? Mm-hmm. We were. Uh, and even myself, we've even had busy, busy schedules post so, but it's great that we finally caught up. And um, for those of you wondering, what's that little pitter patter? Well, winter has finally arrived in Germany, so we have rain for the next nine months. Uh, not quite a rainy season, just a, a gloomy season, I would call it from now on. Um, anyway, uh, of course, the weather played a factor in New York. I don't know how that was for you guys as, as viewers, never mind the players. It was hot and humid. Uh toward the second half of the time that we were there. Uh, I don't think we had any rain issues while we were there, though. No, it's, it sprinkled one day for a little bit. But, um, yeah, overall, it was very hot and, and humid and, and sunny, which was good, you know, good for tennis fans to you know not have to worry about rain delays and, you know, match rescheduling and things like that. But, obviously, there were some days, especially, you know, the last couple of days that we were there that were – getting very hot and I know there were you know some bigger picture conversations about the sustainability of this with you know climate change and what's tennis going to do in the next several years when as temperatures get hotter so that was interesting to think about just you know decades from now how how tennis will handle those kind of temperatures but overall yeah. it was it was nice for us for the most part mm-hmm. yeah right uh, do you think that played a part at all will in any of the matches that you sort of witnessed or became aware of in the tournament was there a match where you thought ah I think this is weather-related fatigue, maybe getting involved here in terms of the humidity, or or do you think it didn't really play any uh, big part in any of the matches you witnessed? Uh, yeah, I don't think it plays a big role in, in the doubles side of things. Um, it's not quite as uh, grueling as, as the singles where you're covering the entire court. Sure. Um, and then, of course, it's two out of three uh, for the men and the women in doubles, whereas you know the men's singles is three out of five, which can be... Uh, exhausting and lead to cramps, as we saw in a, a few matches on the single side. But for doubles, I, I don't think the weather really plays a huge factor. Um, I will say it was windy a few days. Um, and that was, I was noticing some things that some of the teams were doing strategically, like on one particular side, you were able to lob a little bit more often because you were into the wind. Um, okay. So the opponents would get to the net and then you could easily throw up the lob and then wind would kind of knock it down inside the baseline there. But other than that, I don't think the weather played a, a major role. Okay, let's get into, let's begin with the sort of record breakers of Rahm and Salisbury, who have now won their last 18 matches 
in New York. Uh, obviously, that's three in a row. And I think that's unprecedented, right, for a doubles pairing um, Hanlon. It is. Yeah, that was the first time in the Open era, at least at the U.S. Open, I know that um, that they've had the same team, you know, win three consecutive years. And it may be a record for all Grand Slams. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, pretty remarkable for them to turn their season around like that and just, you know, find whatever magic that they had to, to win the U.S. Open title. Up until that point, their 2023 had been pretty disappointing for Ram and Salisbury's standards, just given their consistency um, at the top of the men's doubles game over the last several years. So it was it was great to see them, you know, turn their season around with a big win like that. And I know Will actually just spoke with Rajiv yesterday on the doubles only podcast. So he probably has some some good insight from Rajiv if you want to, you know, recap that episode or preview it, I guess. Yeah. 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 um, Yeah, I did. I spoke with Rajiv yesterday. Uh, That episode will be going live next Wednesday. Um, So the what is what date would that be? September 27th. Um, yeah. And it, it sounds like, you know, I asked him what, what did, uh, you attribute the, the kind of, I, I guess for their standards, mediocre start to the season too. Um, mm-hmm. and it sounded mostly like it was just kind of injury related. So Rajiv has had some issues with his Achilles. Joe's had some back issues and they couldn't kind of sync up their health at the same time for a long enough stretch to get a match play, but B um, just practice, you know, and and they were finally able to do that going into the U S open. They had both been healthy for three, four five weeks uh, going into the U S open. So they were able to get their level a little bit higher um, where that hadn't happened uh, the the entire season before that. So that's, I I think that played probably the biggest role and, what they've done, uh, I tweeted this out a few times. I think we actually talked about it last time we spoke with you, John. Uh, Rajiv and Joe were, at the time, I think 16th in the the race to the year and final. They've made it four straight years every year. Uh, they've mm-hmm. been together as a partnership. And this win just launched them into the race, uh, into the top eight, and they're up to number six. Okay, so looking good now. I mean, there's still one or, one or two things to sort out between now and then, but looking good for the rest yeah. of the year. Make sure you check out uh, Will on Twitter. Is I know is uh, at Will Buchek. Uh, Hanlon, what's your what's your um, handle? Uh, it's just at Hanlon Walsh. H A N L O N W A L S H. You must have got in there. Both of you must have got into Twitter pretty early to yeah, get your names. Uh, or is it just? I mean, Hanlon, Hanlon Walsh seems quite a. Oh, Walsh is certainly a. <laughs> common name right? common name yeah maybe <laughs> i've got an uncommon name. last name and he has an uncommon first name so yeah that's right yeah, yeah maybe we have that advantage for twitter anyways i'm just looking at will you joined according to, to twitter and you joined in october 2011 i don't know what your your birthday is um or birth date is hannah for twitter because i'm on will's page right now but i was a similar time i was probably 2010 i think something like that um, although I didn't use it for the first two years, I just created an account so I could enter a competition where you had to have a Twitter handle to enter. And then two years later, a, a couple of news stories occurred in the UK and I was really like paying attention to Twitter on a daily basis and have been there ever since. Um, were there any other um, sort of nuggets, Will, from that interview, particularly regarding the US Open or just in general? Um, let me think. So... He so we talked a lot about the season, um, just the partnership with Joe in general. Uh, Rajiv is working with um, 
with a new coach, Chris Eaton, who I found out he's actually been working with kind of off and on for several years now. Um, but Chris was a coach at Wake Forest, a university here in the States with a really good tennis program um, and decided to leave and start coaching Rajiv full time now. Um, so we talked a little bit about that. Uh, Davis Cup we chatted about, which, uh, you know, they just finished that up. The U.S. lost um, last week and Rajiv played with Austin Krychek, who's another top American doubles player, and they are planning on teaming up for the Olympics next year. So they'll definitely, assuming both players are healthy, they'll definitely be one of the favorites going into that. Um, so that'll be exciting for American tennis fans to watch as well. Um, I've actually just come across a bit of a Twitter spat between, uh, as I sit, I was looking up for uh, Hanlon's Twitter account, honestly, I'm doing stuff here. I want to see when your birthday was, although it doesn't, oh, it does say June 2011, so similar time, Hanlon. And as I, as I did so, I saw a Twitter spat between Caroline Wozniacki and John Wertheim. And I'm just wondering, Hanlon, if, have, what's, with, with interviews on doubles, have you or Will ever had an, awkward moment or an awkward interview or uh, or, or a disagreement with a, a prominent player on Twitter? I I was just actually catching up on Twitter myself after my last meeting and so, and was like beginning to unravel some of the Wozniacki, John Wertheim I'm tweets. just seeing for the first time. Um, yeah. I'm inter- yeah, I want to go back and like read those more carefully, but um, I don't think, I mean, definitely not on my end. Will's, Will's done more podcast interviews than I have over the years, but even like some of the, you know, in-person stuff that we've done on site as, you know, as media at, at events over the last few years, I can't really think of anything, especially not of, of that magnitude um, where we've, you know, gotten something wrong or, and had to, you know, issue, retract a statement or, or, or retract a, you know, an interview quote or anything like that. But Will, do you have anything that comes to mind? Um, no, I mean, I'm, you know, for the most part, uh, my interviews, I'm just trying to kind of gather information and ask interesting questions. I'm not really uh, voicing my opinion too much um, or trying to disagree with with players or or media outlets. So, um, no, no, but you, I, I mean, this is so. sometimes, well, you can make an innocent mistake. Uh, I, yeah, I, made yeah, one, sure. I made one yesterday. I started reading something and, and I just read the first four or five words and I was saying it to the guest and I thought, oh, no, I'm reading the wrong tournament here actually rather than the right one if that makes sense and i, and I quickly stopped and, and and corrected it but um yeah. but anyway I, small I, I, stuff like that for sure but what about um, a player that's you know that's lost a match i mean the the, the the biggest example is when you know someone comes into press and they've they've won they've lost the match and someone says congratulations on the win but will what i'm also thinking <laughs> about with you was when you're interviewing somebody and and you mention a doubles moment and you've got the wrong year and the player has highlighted it or anything like that uh will's too it, perfect you're, you're just too I, good no now. no no i mean there's definitely been some tweets i've sent out that uh where i have something wrong and somebody will put it in the comments and okay i'll yeah same. i'll say like yeah I'll, I'll tweet back at him and say oh shoot you're right like thanks for clearing that up and then i'll you know correct it or do it do what i have to do to do my best to, to fix that um i know we had a what Hanlon, what was it? We had a press conference where you asked, I think, Ons oh, a question. I was just thinking about that. Yeah, we did have had one minor uh, press conference slip, slip up about confusing um, Ons Jabor's doubles partners over the years in Charleston this past uh, year. Yeah. I was asking her a question, just trying to gauge more on like 
if she's going to be playing doubles more because like the past few times she's played doubles have been with like high profile partners like Serena last summer. And then I couldn't remember if it was um, Bedosa or um, I'm trying to think of the Bedosa. other player. Yeah. Was it Bedosa, Bedosa and Sabalenka that I mixed up the names? Um, yeah. You said with. one and she had played with, I think you said you played with Bedosa in Charleston and she had played with maybe Bedosa the week before, in but Miami. it was actually Sabalenka uh, yeah. in Char- Charleston or vice versa, maybe. So it wasn't a huge mistake, but she corrected Hanlon yeah. on it. And we kind of joke about it every now and then. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, she doesn't care. She yeah. didn't care, but luckily it was Anz and so you know, and not a, another player that might have like taken offense to that for some reason. But Anz is so so cool. So it was yeah. Was yeah, right. I'm I'm actually I'm just thinking before you even then said that she played with with uh, but also a week before, I, I know that Arms and and uh, Savalenka get on pretty well off the court. But um, but the fact that she played with Bedosa a week before, I think, gives you an even bigger pass, Hanlon. Mm-hmm. And and as you say, there's certain players which will take umbrage more than others. I don't know if Arms was in a you know had just won her match that particular day, but I think that tends to help. Like like I I think if you if you said to somebody in a, in a press conference, "Oh, sorry about your loss today," and they go, "Oh, I won actually," it, you know, it's like, "Oh, okay, yeah. everything, everything's all." Did right. that happen with Azarenka earlier this year, like a major or something? I remember there being like a big issue ah. all on Did, Twitter what, that what that she, someone said that she'd lost and that she'd actually won. It, it was either that or another just really big obvious mistake that ah. it was you know all over. They get Twitter the majors was, wrong a lot. So like yeah. Renee Stubbs tweeted out the other day. It was like an article on ESPN here in the U.S. talking about the uh, the San Diego final between Krejcikova and Kinnan, and they just got the majors that they had won just dead wrong. It was like Krejcikova, the 2021 Australian Open champion, and Kinnan made the finals of Roland Garros in 2020 or something. They just like totally mixed them up. And this was on ESPN, so it was... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I saw Renee Stubbs tweet about that, and it's yeah, it is embarrassing. Some of the the media hiccups that, that can happen. Mm-hmm. I've had one on the other foot. I, I won't embarrass the person who did it, but but somebody uh, once sent sent me a, a private message saying, "Hey, what's this? You've tweeted. You you need to have more respect for players." And I was thinking, I don't remember sending this tweet. And and then the person came back to me saying, "Oh, sorry, it was somebody else, but with a similar Twitter handle." And I was like, yeah, okay. Um, so the, the, for once, the ball was on the other foot, or the, the ball was on the other foot, the shoe was on the other foot, whatever. Listen, <laughs> let's get back to the action in New York. Um, and I'm just having a quick look at the semifinals and the final of, of Rahm and Salisbury as they created US Open history, adding to their Australian Open crown. So they've got four slams all together as a pair. And I'm seeing that, of course, they beat Dodik and, and Krajcik in the semis in three sets, and then also Bopana and Ebden uh, in the final. So it was a pretty tough sort of final two matches for them and also uh, three setters, both of them, uh, Hanlon. Mm-hmm. That sort of adds to the credential, if you like, of, of this title. Yeah, definitely. And Will and I were there for the, the their quarterfinal match, I believe, against um, Gonzalez and Maltini, but the um, Argentine duo who's had a really impressive year. They won, they've won a couple of 500s and, and I think um, they won the Masters 1000 too. Okay. Um, but yeah, like back to your point, John, the semifinals lineup was was stacked. It was all just, you know, it felt like kind of a ATP doubles clash of the Titans, all top yeah. teams squaring off against each other. So I think the fact that Ram and Salisbury were able to get through, you know, the semis and then the finals over two two of the best teams in 2023 
um, has to give them a lot of confidence, you know, backing their, their three peat at the U S open. And, and like Will said earlier, sets them up really nicely for the rest of the year. Now that they're, you know, in contention for the year in championships. Yeah. Right. I'm also looking at the fact that they also dropped a set in the, I think the, the round before the quarterfinal as well. So the three of their last four matches went the distance. Um, what did you make of their performance? Will, when you saw, you saw them as well again in that quarterfinal will. Yeah, I did. Um, did that suggest to you these guys are going to go on and win the title? Yeah, I mean, knowing that they had won it the two previous years, you knew they had, you know, confidence on the bigger courts and, um, you know, just loved being in New York. Uh, one thing Rajiv told me, you, you know, the big thing was the health, I think, that that I took away from my conversation with him yesterday. Um, you know, obviously, that's so important when you're a, a top-level athlete like this. And if you have you know, one week you're injured, the next week your partner's injured and you can't kind of string together some of that practice and, and some of the match play, um, then it is going to take a toll. Um, but one interesting thing he told me uh, in the final, but it sounds like, you know, this is something that happens with, with any athlete is after the first set, they lost 6-2. Rajiv told Joe, hey man, like I'm, I'm not feeling great. Like we need to mix something up. Like I'm not, I'm not feeling it. Like I'm not feeling up for this. Um, and this is a U.S. Open final. Granted, mm -hmm. he's been there twice before, um, but it was interesting to hear him say that. You know, to communicate that with his doubles partner, like, and just be totally honest. Like I, yeah. I would imagine myself in that situation, I'd be like, "Will, what's wrong with you? Like, this is the U.S. Open doubles final. Like, you got to figure this out. You can't let John down." Like you mm -hmm. can't play this bad. And I wouldn't say a word to you maybe mm -hmm. after the match, but he says it in the middle of the, after the first set, and then they're able to turn it around um, and, and win six, three, six, four. But uh, yeah, a lot of the, um, I, I feel like the health was definitely the biggest thing. And then um, he talked a lot about his communication with Joe that, that I found really intriguing as well. Did he say yeah. what tactical changes they made beyond yeah, go on, the second, third set? Yeah. Uh, no, no, it was funny. Like I, so in all these conversations, I'm so interested in the tactics and the strategy. And I, I try to get as much out of that, um, as possible, but he, he mostly talked about like energy and, um, being the more aggressive team and communication with his partner. Um, so I'm starting to like, I don't know, I, I guess, become more aware of, of some of those attributes that are a little bit less tangible, um, which is, is something I've always like not liked as much. Um, I want to be able to like measure everything. And it's like, you're not playing aggressive enough. Well, I can't measure that. So I'm, I'm not, I'm just going to ignore it. But in reality, um, it sounds like this stuff matters. And um, Rajiv talked a lot about that, but he did not talk much about tactics or, or strategy or anything like that. Although I'm sure that played a, a factor as well. Hanlon, in, during the tournament, were there some interesting strategies? I mean, for the for the casual observer, I always think it's kind of interesting just to see where the two players are, particularly the non-returner on return, if you like. That's the that's the the obvious thing that I always look at. I go, okay, this person just wants to stay somewhere near the baseline, whereas you normally get that kind of you know that angle of of of, of like this. Now, am I am I, am I making sense here Hanlon or you're looking at me like this guy's never watched a double match in his life <laughs> no I think you're making yeah you're definitely making sense um I think 
one thing that I noticed from the returner a lot is um, the lob return, like the chip lob return seems to be really effective on the men and women's side. I mean, the, the women are great at the top spin lob, just mixing that up when they're, you know, a lot of them will stay back during the points and just mixing up the pace and direction. But I think um, we saw a lot, you know, Jamie Murray is a great example of, of, of this. And then a lot of other ATP guys just mixing in the backhand chip return on when you're returning on the deuce court and then coming into the net straight from there. Um, and then I think from the returners partner, I know Will actually recorded a video with Craig O'Shaughnessy about returners partner strategy. So he can talk more about that. But one thing that I, I did notice is that a lot of players staying back on some serve, you know, both players staying back on the return, just, I think, especially on the men's side, because if, you know, the guy is serving a bomb and then the best the returner can do is just lob it up, then you don't want to get drilled by an overhead when you're standing on the service line. So a lot of, a lot of the guys might be staying back more on the first serve, but I don't know, Will, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you'll see a lot more two back on the men's side when the serve team uses eye formation. Um, so a lot of teams will just do that by default um, because it it takes a little pressure off the returner and it buys the returners more part returners partner more time to defend. Um, the video I shot with Craig we actually just published on our YouTube channel this week, uh, and we're talking about the returners partner position because it is the most difficult position on the doubles court to be in. Right, you're the last person to get a chance to to hit the ball. Um, so you have to be in a position to defend. And we actually saw a lot of players, especially on the men's side, taking too aggressive of a stance, or at least what Craig and I thought was too aggressive. And the server's partner would pick off that return and just go at the returner's partner. And they'd sometimes get hit. Maybe they'd get a racket on it, but they didn't have any time to defend. Um, so I feel like it kind of depends on what the serve team's doing. Um, as well as uh, what your own strengths are. You'll see a lot of um, doubles teams that are, you know, quote, singles players who will play two back anyways. Um, I watched uh, Bernarda Pera and Magda Lynette. Um, they made a run, I think, into the quarters uh, in New York, and they played a lot of two back because they're both great singles players, right? So they can sit at the baseline and rip ground strokes as the return team. So it, it depends on a lot of factors. Your... Uh youtube channel is at the tennis tribe right uh yes that's correct cool yeah i'm just having a look at quite a few good videos on there with with plenty of uh action and views as well i'm just going to share that on the screen with us right now so guys out there if you haven't done so already make sure you give them a a, a quick subscribe to keep up to date with all things doubles um Hannon, any other final stories on the men's doubles at the us open i mean i know you were there for quite a few matches so there may have been a match that caught your eye you'd like to air your thoughts on or shall we switch over to the women's doubles one one thing on the men's too i think probably the most exciting match that i watched maybe will would agree was um the second round match between um the number one seeds wesley Kulhoff and neil skupski against um cabal and farah the colombian team who was playing their last event at the us open and um it was a really exciting three-set match on one of the outside courts it was you know standing room only there were a ton of Colombian fans. Like it, it felt just kind of like a rowdy Colombian Davis Cup atmosphere. And and especially because Cabal and Farah were retiring after um, the US Open. That was their last major they played together. They they won the event in 2019, used to be, you know, number one doubles team. And I think, you know, Will and I were actually talking before this how Cabal and Farah are the perfect example of 
a great doubles team that has, you know, helped make the game more popular just because, you know, they're from the same country. They've been playing together for a really long time, like most of their careers. So they have the loyalty and longevity aspects. Um, so I think they're, they're a perfect blueprint for what a doubles team, you know, could and should be to help elevate the game. And, um, they just brought, you know, a ton of energy and brought the Colombian fans. So ultimately they lost in three sets, but it was a great match for them to, you know, finish their uh, grand slam career. Cool. Over to the women's doubles. Uh, we had a bit of a, a first or firsts, I should say, in that I believe Erin Rutliff is the first New Zealander to win a slam of any sort. Uh, at least that's what my brief research told me before. But I probably should, uh, a bit like John Wertheim, maybe I should do more extensive uh, research before I start making loose comments. But anyway, I'm pretty, I'm pretty solid on that one, I think. Um, maybe there's going to be a New Zealander who's like 93 years old, who's watching right now, who's going to be tweeting me later. Well, you forgot about my slam. Um, anyway, uh, a Canadian Gabriela Dabrowski was her partner um, as they beat the former uh, US Open champions of Laura Siegmund, friend of the show, of course, and Russia's uh, Zvira uh, Zvonareva. It was in straight sets, albeit that the first set was uh, a pretty dramatic tiebreak that was 11-9. Um, and yeah, of course, Dabrowski and Rutliff also, did they not just begin their partnership like a month ago, um, Will? Yeah, they did. They started in, uh, Canada. So they played the Canadian Open, they played Cincinnati, and then they played in Cleveland. Uh, they won a couple matches. Um, I think they made the semis in Cleveland. Uh, each of those three tournaments, they lost in a third set, a 10 point tiebreaker. So they had close losses. So they were in, in decent form going into it. And uh, yeah, they had just a kind of magical run. It was really unbelievable. They did not um, by any means have a uh, an easy draw to win this title. It's not one of those where, you know, you you get a, a free ride into the semifinals. They beat um, Fernandez and Townsend in the quarters okay. where Hanlon and I were sitting front row, which was um, probably the most exciting doubles match we saw in New York, um, at, at least on the women's side, for sure. Uh, that had been maybe, the, match of the doubles match of the tournament, I would, I would guess, I, just I in terms so. of atmosphere and rowdy, rowdiness and, um, yeah, just energy. It was a packed stadium in Louis Armstrong. Great exposure for doubles. Yeah. And then, um, and then in the semis, they beat Shea Suwei and uh, Shinju Wang. I think okay. I'm pronouncing that right. Um, who won the French Open. Shea, I tweeted out the day before, Shea <laughs> is the most dominant Grand Slam player right now because she was 16-0 and 0 in Grand Slams in women's mm -hmm. doubles uh, um, so far in 2023. And then, of course, the next day she loses. Uh, so they beat them in straight sets in the semis. And then Sigmund and Zvonareva won the U.S. Open in 2020. And... Yeah. They don't play a ton of doubles together. They'll do a handful of tournaments per year, but when they do, they're a very, very good team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they all credit to to Gabby and Aaron. Um, that was a very difficult draw, and they figured it out in each match and uh, found a way to win. I mean, it does look like a cracker as well, but particularly given the names, because Layla and Taylor have 
um certainly struck up a, a you know something that's sort of bringing doubles as well to the to the fore this year at certain times so that's a great um a doubles win for them i mean tell us about that match a bit more um hannon i mean uh, i think it was either you or will but one of you said it was the sort of possibly i think it was you hannon wasn't it? you said it's possibly the match of the tournament that you saw at least and and it certainly looks that way it was yeah they you know they had the opportunity to play on louis armstrong which is a great you know showcase court for doubles to begin with and um you know layla and taylor came out firing pretty early from what i remember they were up they won the first set and then gabby and aaron you know the momentum uh changed completely and they kind of went on the tear in the second set and then led 4-1 in the third set i believe had uh points to go up 5-1 and then yeah the crowd had filled in by then and momentum completely shifted taylor and layla stepped their game up and um and then, you know, it was decided by the third set tiebreaker. Um, I think the most, you know, interesting thing was that, you know, it, the crowd was, you know, and it wasn't too surprising, but it was a very much a pro Townsend Fernandez crowd. Um, you know, whenever Gabby and Aaron won points in, in the latter stages of the match, the stadium, you know, was pretty quiet. Um, so it was, it was a very, very rowdy pro US slash Layla Fernandez crowd. Um, and Taylor and Layla were up seven two in the the final match tiebreaker and oh wow and double faulted twice they missed they got tight and missed a couple of easy approach shots um, so they you know all credit to Gabby and Aaron for fighting through that but Taylor and Layla certainly let a few opportunities slip too sorry who double faulted twice Taylor Townsend double faulted back to back oh, points um, mm -hmm. but will anything else to add on that match um. Yeah, I mean, the atmosphere was wild. Uh, I actually had Aaron on a few days after um, they won the final. Okay, cool. Uh, so that's a recent podcast episode if anybody wants to check it out. But um, I asked her a lot about this match. And uh, it was, um, yeah, it was really impressive how they turned it around because they, like Hanlon said, they were up 4-1 with points to go up 5-1 in the third set. And then it got back to 4-all. And at that point, the crowd was cheering between first and second serve. So Aaron would miss a first serve and the crowd would cheer, which, you know, you never like to see bad tennis mm -hmm. etiquette. And um, and Aaron was talking to the chair umpire about it. And I asked her about that. And she said she and Gabby just stuck together and like stayed positive. And, and they, you know, at that point, I really thought they probably were rattled and, and were not going to win this match. But they... Um, they changed their energy and and figured it out uh, in the late third and then in the in the tiebreaker as well. Um, so it was a great atmosphere for doubles and a really impressive win from uh, Gabby and Aaron. Hanlon, where are we at right now with the Layla and Taylor show? It's been a, a highlight of the year for, for many doubles fans um, to see some of the energy they bring to the court. Um, but are we at the situation now where where we're where we're a bit disappointed when they where, you know if you're if you're a fan of theirs or 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 just generally if you're keeping an eye on them are, are they feeling the the disappointment of these these losses for example i mean or is it just like this is a project we're fine we've got i mean taylor and layla obviously at the opposite ends of their career which also adds to the to the interest i think um is it still like oh this is just a lot of fun anyway and, and it's okay but uh, or are are they sort of having bigger ambitions than, than just making the quarterfinals? I think they've, yeah, they've, well, first of all, they're on the same page about, you know, where singles is their first priority and then doubles is, you know, a second, but very important priority now that they've had a lot of success. 
Um, but I think they're just waiting on their first title together because they've had a lot of deep runs throughout the year. I think they, they've they made um, the finals of – they've made a finals in a few semis. I'm forgetting which events. And I think there's looks like they're still in Guadalajara, so having some good results there. But I think they've been really consistent and had a lot of big wins, but they ha- they're, you know could still use the first signature title as a, a partnership. But um, I'm pretty sure they're still well within you know the top eight of the – the doubles race this year. So I know that was, you know, we spoke with them in Charleston, one of their first tournaments that they played together and and they told Will on the podcast that, you know, they're committed to partnering together through the end of the year. So making the the tour finals is a big goal for them. But I think in the meantime, you know, winning a title would certainly add a lot of credibility to their resume as a partnership. Mm-hmm. Will, any final sort of stories on the, on the women's side? I mean, Laura Siegmund is, is somebody I've spoken to a couple of times this year um about a, a bit about doubles as well though primarily those interviews were uh, were about singles um mm-hmm. anything to say about that pairing and and uh i mean actually she had quite an eventful us open because her first round match against coco was arguably coco's most difficult match on route to the title yeah. all sorts of different reasons i don't know if, if it was a wild match i don't know if she gets as much scrutiny louder for her um what's the word casual moments between points let's say like <laughs> she's taking her time it's something i noticed watching her playing singles in berlin this year but i think in berlin she gets a bit more leniency than she does in new york although some may say that they were pretty yeah. lenient on her in new york as well but um yeah i mean she's obviously a pretty a pretty big doubles player now mm-hmm. yeah she's um she has a game that is very fun to watch she gets to oh, the definitely. net she moves super well anticipates as good as anyone on tour so if if she does uh decide to focus primarily on doubles then um she'll certainly be around for a while uh and yeah they're they're a very good team a very fun team to watch um you know this is the time of the year the u.s opens over um we've got a few other tournaments obviously the the women are in guadalajara now the men have a couple of masters 1000s left uh, I really start to look at the races. Um, so Zvana Raven Siegman are in ninth. Uh, Townsend and Fernandez are in seventh. Um, so the race gets gets pretty exciting this time of year because it's it's such a small margin um, between those you know five through uh, you know twelve range. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens over the next uh, couple of weeks um, as we lead into the WTA and ATP finals. Yeah, um, and of course, uh, back to Dabrowski, Gabriela. She won. She's won a, a doubles title before, right? Um, I think in twenty seventeen, she won the mixed doubles with Bopana. And uh, is that right? I'm just just trying to look. Yeah, at her. she and Bopana won, and yeah, think, right. I think that year is correct, or some sometime around there. But that sounds right. I know she has a mixed doubles, either one or two mixed doubles majors to her name, but had never won a women's doubles. Right. Yeah, she won the 2018 Australian, 2018 Australian Open. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Let's uh, move over to the uh, mixed doubles where we had uh, Anna Danalina and Harry Heliavara uh, beating uh, the more familiar Jessica Bagula and Austin Krychek. Um uh, Jessica Bagul, obviously very familiar in terms of her singles, but also her doubles pairing with Coco. But Krajicek as well has um, been tearing up the doubles scene for a little while now. Um, so they took their the mixed doubles title. Um, any thoughts on the final there, Will? 
Um, yeah, there was some complaints on Twitter because it wasn't on uh, TV. You had to stream it on ESPN3, uh, ah. which was um, a little disappointing. But uh, I did have a chance to watch um, the final as well as uh, the semifinal match between um, uh, Shibahara and Pavic and then Danilina and Haley Vara. Um, and I have to say, I, I wish mixed doubles got more love because it is, is really fun to watch. And the players seem to have, like, they were so excited to win. Um, but they, in general, like, they seem to have a different kind of attitude or lightheartedness playing mixed doubles. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's really, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a joy to watch um, a little bit. And Renee Stubbs was on the call as well. And she is just, she's great in singles, but when she's calling a doubles match, she is fantastic. She provides so much insight and strategy. And she was making me actually laugh while I was watching this match because Harry kept uh, lobbing Austin and she was just laying into him saying, will you lob the girl? If you ever play mixed doubles, if you're watching on TV, lob the girl, don't Mm -hmm. lob the guy. Yeah, it was really so honest, funny. But very insightful. Yeah, yeah, it was so funny listening to her. Um, so the lobs weren't working, right? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, Krychek's taller than Jessica Pagula, he probably has a bigger overhead than Jessica Pagula, so it's yeah. like obviously you probably want to lob Jessica Pagula, but <laughs> yeah. um, anyways, it was uh, it was really fun to watch, and um, I, I feel like I mean, it's impossible to say Austin's one. Um, won the French Open earlier this year. Uh, Jessica um, still hasn't won a major yet, but she's had a oh, lot of success, not. obviously, on the on the yeah. singles court. Um, and I, I feel like it probably maybe meant a little more to, to Anna and Harry, um, just because they were kind of the underdog. And uh, yeah, I don't know. But Jessica and Austin are both Americans, so who knows? Maybe that's unfair of me to say. <laughs> But the celebration was was pretty awesome. I think it was also cool that uh, Danilina and Helio Vara, I don't think they even knew each other before the tournament. They met like right before signups and it was a, you know, a random pairing. Like we see a lot in mixed doubles. So I think, you know, you you might as well just throw out the seeded teams in mixed doubles majors because there's always, you know, some element of excitement and there's, you know, a lot of upset prone matchups just, because there's really not enough data on mixed doubles teams knowing that they only play the majors. So it's always um, kind of a toss up, I think. Yeah. They've got the no ad and the 10 pointer as well, which makes it um, kind of tough, more of a toss up than, than otherwise. Uh, Hanlon, um, Will sort of touched upon the, the fact that the mixed doubles doesn't get quite as much love as the, the other doubles. I mean, first of all, would you agree? And, and secondly, what, why, why is that? Because, uh, you know, it doesn't, as you say, it seems to be a lot of fun going on. Yeah, I think that's a, uh, I definitely agree with it. I mean, it's I, most of the doubles players who play mixed doubles probably see it as more of like a, maybe a, a, a fun de-stressor to play like a, a more of like an exhibition type mindset than, you know, the men's or women's doubles where you see a lot of people, men and women who are full-time doubles players, that's their main income. I think the mixed doubles probably feels more like a, a fun side hustle, um, to a certain extent at the, at the majors. But um, I think that's a big opportunity within tennis just to, you know, have this joint calendar with the men and women playing on one site to market mixed doubles more because 
it's really, you know, to my knowledge, the only sport where you can really do that and, and have men and women competing across the net from each other and, and with each other. And I think there's always fun partnership dynamics when you see players like Taylor Townsend and Ben Shelton together in a draw. And they, you know, they were a team that, you know, filled the stands wherever they were playing. Um, so there's always, you know, really fun matchups. Another example match that w- Will and I got to see was, I think it was a first round match between uh, Bethany Maddox-Sands and Jamie Murray against uh, Katarina Siniakova and Marcelo Mello. And on that court alone, you had four dif- former number one doubles players who all had won multiple major titles. And it was um, just something that we kind of s- happened to, you know, sneak up on on one of the outside courts and just four quality former world number one doubles players. Um, Judy Murray even retweeted one of our tweets just saying that mixed doubles is such a a hidden gem in the Grand Slam, you know, outer courts lineup. So I think, you know, once people see mixed doubles, they're impressed and intrigued, but it's just a matter of getting the word out more and giving players more opportunities to to play it too. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I'm, sorry, go on, Will. Yeah, I mean, on that court, um, Hanlon mentioned the former number ones in Grand Slams, but there was 25 Grand Slam titles on that court. So that's there was maybe a couple hundred people watching. Um, so that it was it's just wild to to see that few people. Um, and then I, I also want to highlight his point about it, it's the only sport I think that uh, does this right, where where men and women can play together. Um, and I feel like tennis should embrace that and market it more. Yeah, um, because it's a it's yeah it's so rare um, and it's such a unique angle. Um, that tennis can take well um somebody who has uh decided to step away not entirely from the sport but has announced that he will not be playing uh davis cup anymore uh is rohan bapana so that's his uh an element of the legendary career that he has already had that is is over with and the reason why i'm touching upon this uh, right now is because uh, I mean, he made the semifinals in in New York, um, but as we said, that sort of part of the of the the tournament was stacked. But the reason I'm touching on upon it now is because I just think we're going to made, end, made uh, the final. Did you say semifinal? Oh, I did. So I fi- so I meant. Did I say semifinal? Yeah, okay, and Ebden were in the final against uh, Joe and Rajiv. Sorry, final. Okay, uh, it was in it was in that stacked group of of, uh, mm-hmm. of four pairings, but uh, I made a mistake. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Will, for correcting me there. We're not going to fall out though, unlike Caroline was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, not yet. Not yet. So, Please. by the way, people, by the way, on, uh, have probably left the show to go and check out, see what's going on between John Wertheim mm-hmm. and. <laughs> and uh, Caroline Wozniacki, but but if you can just hold fire for a few more minutes, because I just want to have a quick word with you guys about the fact that I think another way that we could embrace doubles more, bearing in mind, I think we saw one or two very interesting doubles matches last weekend, particularly with the UK up against uh, France uh, in Manchester, is is just so we can we can really get you know this this is when for me, if you like, doubles does actually get its greatest platform is in these moments where actually it's often the crescendo of a, of a very tight match and it's a doubles match. And this is when we, we obviously got the Labour Cup now as well, although many of which I probably subscribe to do see as a sort of a glorified um, exhibition. Uh, whereas with, with Davis Cup, I think it's when it's one of the few occasions when doubles actually kind of takes precedence over singles, if you like, in terms of the way 
the matches can pan out. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that as well as as pushing. You know, I, I would be pushing for, I mean, I, I would love to see. I know we've got the United Cup. I don't know if that quite does the whole, you know, men and women thing justice because I think a lot of people are using it as a build-up for the Australian Open. I think a lot of people skip it as a result because, personally, I actually think the United Cup is not ideal preparation for a Grand Slam because if you're, you know, if you're someone like Pass, for example, and maybe you, you, although actually Greece did okay, but do you know what I mean? I just think if you're a singles player, you're in charge of your own destiny. And someone like Djokovic, for example, is more than happy to play in Adelaide the same time as as the United Cup. Same with uh, Sebi Korda, of course, and Daniel Medvedev, although I think Medvedev wasn't able to play. So back to my point anyway, I think this is this is where we can really push both doubles, but also this, this, and this. if we could have something like, I, I would love to see the, the Davis Cup and Billie Jean King Cup merge even. That would be a, a thing, although you, you might look at history there and say, oh, you've got to, got to protect this. But um, yeah, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts, for example, Will, on, on some sort of uh some something to elevate the double sport you know i i think there's a chance where i mean we're kind of due for a shake-up in tennis right um like singles or doubles um we've got you know all these different organizations running different tournaments and then atp and wta have talked about a merger forever um and then i i know i think we talked a little bit last time about the the live golf um how the Saudis came in and started this live thing. And then now they're merging with the PGA. So I, you know, I I've seen rumors. I don't know if any of it's true, but I've seen rumors of um, the Saudis coming in and, and trying to uh, merge tennis as well. Um, so, you know, I, there's um, a lot of ethical complications with that, that I'm not going to get into. Um, Cause I, I don't know enough about that stuff. But, uh, I, I think it would be good for um, just some kind of shakeup. And, and with that needs to be um, a lot of the things we've talked about with doubles, uh, taking advantage of mixed doubles, how you have men and women playing against each other in the same sport, which never happens. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know what the direction is, um, but certainly more marketing for doubles is uh, a good place to start. Um, and I, I feel like Davis Cup, when it comes down to that last doubles match, is super exciting. Um, although I, I know I see in the comments here, some people don't like Davis Cup anymore. But maybe. But I mean, I, I think. Oh, I know Ghosty. Yeah, yeah, Ghosty doesn't like it. But but I think the, my issue with with team events is there's just too many and they're too convoluted and too diluted. Even actually, if that's not a contradiction, mm. um, I think that's a good it, point. That the, there's just too many and I, I, I when i this 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 concept before before australia um which has been there's, there's, they've had a, they've had a few team events there over the last few years i forget what the previous name was for it but um there was a name for it in australia just build it in the build up to the australian Open. they've changed it now of course to the united cup because they've got men and women together Hop, but hopman cup was another one yeah hopman cup as well which of course mm. we just had recently but of course that um no, atp you know, cup that was another one too atp cup that's what that's the one i was trying to think of <laughs> Yeah, it's so, just, many, so many cups. I think you're right. I think there's too many. I, I think we right. need to merge it. The problem is you can't remember the names of all of them. You know, I've yeah. been saying this for a while, but I know that David Law from the Tennis Podcast subscribes to this as well. It's making the Davis Cup every two years. Um, so do it over a two-year span. That would that would also yeah. help in terms of the calendar. At least it would thin that out a little bit. 
um, yeah. which I'm a big fan of. And it would also make that biannual finals even more special. You know, I think one of the one of the things that I, I've really disliked in, in soccer is that they've, they've, they've tried or they've spoken a lot about introducing uh, a World Cup every two years rather than every four. And I think what makes a World Cup so incredible, special, is it's every four years. You know, you, yeah. you, you know you're 29 years old in, in soccer and this match that you're playing now you know, this could be your one and only shot or your last shot at it. And I, I think it would mm-hmm. just, okay, it's not quite the same with the Davis Cup being every two years, but I think it would elevate that. Uh, and it would it would thin out the calendar, which is something I'm a big fan of anyway. Uh, there's too many, of course, financial things going on that, to make that completely possible, but that is mm-hmm. one possible solution. But I, I have to say, I think it's, it's Davis Cup for me is when, uh, Davis Cup gets a lot of you know bad rep as you can see from the chat, but but also I think it's because it's 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 been sort of a bit of a, a chaos the last few years and perhaps beyond that will. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I, I think we need to just clean the slate to a a women's event, a men's event, and a mixed event. Yeah, uh, and and if it's that every two years, if it's every two years, like on a rolling <laughs> calendar. Um, or maybe every three years, you only do one event per year, and each one's every three years. Something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I'd be, I'd be up for, to do it. I'd be up for something Simplified. like this. I mean, I think opposite of the yeah, have it opposite of the Olympic year too. So if you had like like what we'll say in something every three years, then you'd have an Olympic year and then start over again. But having Davis Cup, Fed Cup, I mean Billie Jean King Cup, and the Olympics all in the same year, and United Cup hopping, you know, the Labor hopping Cup, cup yeah. kind of chaotic Labor Cup. I mean, the Hotman Cup as well as right now placed the week after Wimbledon. So, you know, good luck with with getting some of the big names to attend there. Although yeah. I know Carlos did turn up this year. But yeah, I mean, make it. Uh, I mean, the Olympics is obviously an, an amazing moment as well, where, where we can have a lot of team stuff going on and doubles, especially really, again, rises there. But with with, uh, you know, I would I would just possibly throw out then this is something I have thought about, but not extensively is is to have yeah a women's doubles event and a, and a men's doubles event and they are sort of biannual in terms of when they when they reach their crescendo and perhaps if you wanted to do a mixed one you could maybe make the labor cup mixed um try and sort of that elevate the labor cup towards a, a sort of a more serious competition as well um and so you just sort of thin out the calendar and you've got okay labor cup that's mixed doubles okay i know what labor was obviously a dude but the name has stuck and 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 hopefully that's okay. Billy Jenkin Cup and, and Davis Cup can have their roles as well. And that's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I don't know how I mean United Cup might might feel as though it's nose point out of joint and Hopman Cup as well, but that's that's it. And that's where that's where the right now it's thinned out. And I and I don't know how all of these tournaments are doing financially. I probably the most lucrative, funnily enough, is is the Labour Cup. For various different uh, reasons and powers going on there, and and individuals uh, still have a huge amount of power in this in this right. sport, of course, and voices in particular. Um, Hanlon and Will, uh, let's get back to the sort of main point though of, of, of doubles tennis. What have we got Hanlon to look forward to for the rest of the year? Well, I think what Will said is probably the most compelling double storyline is just watching. There's so many teams that are on the cusp of uh, qualifying for the the end of year finals and not qualifying or being an alternate. So I think watching the, you know, the five to 12 ish sweet spot, you know, teams on both tours will certainly be something to keep an eye on. And then also just 
you know, following the tour to Asia and, and the kind of the crazy calendar this fall, especially on the women's side of going, you know, to Asia and then back to, you know, Cancun for the WTA finals and back to Europe for the Billie Jean King Cup. I know that there's been a lot of conversation just about the calendar as well and that, you know, impacts singles and doubles players, especially, you know, players who are, um, or countries like the U.S. and Czech Republic on the women's side who have so many players that could very well be playing in the WTA finals and then are expected to play Billie Jean King Cup um, the next week. So I, I think just the fall calendar will be another big, big storyline for doubles, but also the sport as a whole. Yeah. And of course, again, the geography and, and, and stuff with, with WTA finals is in Cancun. Billie Jean King Cup is in Seville in the south of Spain. Um, uh, the Davis Cup, of course, and, and uh, ATP finals are a little bit geographically close together, but actually not quite so close in the calendar. I don't think so. it's not such a big issue there. Um, Will, so it's basically it's all all roads ahead to try and make that final eight, right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. For me, I think that's the most exciting thing. I've, the players I speak to, um, it is a goal of theirs. Uh, so, yeah, you, you can find all these, um, especially in a, a tournament like Guadalajara mm-hmm. or um, the Paris Masters at the end of the year um, before the ATP finals, You, um, it's like their last chance to, to make a, a big points push to get into that top eight. And you can find all these matchups in the the round of 16 or the quarterfinals that you might think don't matter a whole lot. But when you look at the race, it's like, okay, they really need this win to get into the top eight. Um, so just yesterday, for example, uh, Miyu Kato and Aldila Suciati are 10th in the race right now. And they got a walkover yesterday in the round of 16 in Guadalajara that's a big deal for them to try to make the year in final. So they're going to play. Um, it looks like later today, they're going to play against Asian Muhammad and Caroline Dolhide. So that's a huge match for them. And it's just a, a quarterfinal match, you know? So um, I, I think it's um, a very exciting event that the tours should push more, to be honest. I think the casual tennis fan, when I, when I talk to friends who, know of the u.s open and wimbledon and stuff like that but maybe they don't play a whole lot of tennis or follow the tour a lot of them don't even know that there is a year in final and i I think Mm. it's something that the atp and wta should um push and market and highlight uh even more because it's it's really an exciting event and kind of a, a culmination of uh all the work throughout the year for these doubles teams Okay, um, Hanlon, uh, thank you as well for you to for dropping by, and of course uh, to Will as well. We've we've also had both of you on a, at various other times during the year. I think Will has been my Netflix guy from from time to time. Uh, not not my Netflix guy, as in like an old man who doesn't know how it works, and I have to call Will up. <laughs> To, you know, because when when someone's their TV guy, or my my father has people to just sort of come over and help him with his TV because isn't that? By the way, I am almost getting that way. I, I I'm turning off the TV when I'm trying to change the channel. I'm trying to find the guide and all sorts. So so maybe will oh, I no, will John? Be, I will <laughs> be calling you up sometimes. My Netflix guy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, charge you. Hannah's <laughs> also dropped by a couple of times, at least once for for some single stuff too. Um, make sure you give both of them a follow and a subscribe on all the social medias, but also on youtube at the tennis tribe is their sort of doubles pairing for doubles tennis and there's plenty of uh, good stuff as well in terms of the podcast that they've touched on as well so uh thanks guys for joining us today thank you john, thanks, john. enjoyed it cool
And to the rest of the tennis world, thanks for stopping by, and you know the drill. When I find the right button, <laughs> which I can't seem to find right now. Oh, here it is. <laughs> if you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network.